When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. You just need to take me out of it. When you take me out of it, it, the concept of it is, is really a kind of important and beautiful concept, and that is that we are all connected, and we see this now so much during this pandemic, right? Um, the, what what you go out and do in your life affects other people, and that's the that's the connections. So I didn't know really anything about philanthropy or about um, what the, it would be. All I did was went out and with a friend because I didn't even know how to do this. We got the website sixdegrees.org. You know, I just you know purchased it for you know a couple thousand bucks or something, and that was just the beginning of it. That's Kevin Bacon, who we've enjoyed as an actor in dozens of movies. And just being in all those movies made him the subject of a game called The Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. If you had acted in a movie with someone who had acted with someone who had acted with him, you were that many degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. And other actors would be asked, what's your bacon number? I was interested that Kevin was able to take this game of trivia and turn it into a philanthropy to help make the world a better place. This is really great to talk with you because, first of all, you're such a busy guy. I don't know how you made time for this. Um, I make time because I love you and your work and I wanted to talk to you. So there's always time for that. <laughs> That's great. I'm so impressed because I, I work hard, too, but I don't think I could fit into my life everything you do. Do you know what, what impresses me an awful lot about what you do is your website and your philanthropy? What's the official name of it now? Sixdegrees.org. Yeah, and this, of course, came out of you being named the center of the universe about 25, 25 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Everybody in show business is six degrees away from you, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Um, and, you know, when that when that whole thing happened, it was just, a, you know, a couple, couple of uh, college kids just kind of having fun in their dorm room. And they came up with it and they happened to pick me and they 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 could have picked uh, a lot of other people they could have picked you they've done some kind of a uh, you know a mathematical equation and i think christopher Plummer is maybe the most connected person ever and uh they ended up with me kind of randomly and um you know i was very resistant uh to the idea because it was a joke and i really take took my work so seriously you know and i didn't really want to be the 
the uh, the bottom joke and and you know we're we, you know we're actors we got a lot of pretty deep seated insecurities about that kind of stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 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 uh, otherwise why would we get up in front of millions of people and say do you like exactly me? <laughs> exactly we're, we're 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 trying to uh override our imposter syndrome pretty much like <laughs> yeah. you know consistently and um and yet it just didn't go away you know it just it just kept hanging in there and so i thought to myself um I was at a point in my life where I was trying to figure out some kind of way to do a little bit more kind of giving back. You know, I think that when I started out, like a lot of young performers, um, I was uh, necessarily like super, super self-involved and and really, really just um, uh, I had myself at the center of the universe. You know? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and and then eventually, you know, you have kids and or things happen in your life or you start to spend a little bit more time looking at the newspaper or, or, you know, personal, um, relationships have sort of, you know, impact. And, and, and I started thinking, maybe I just need to do a little bit more, um, giving back in a way. Um, I've been, you know, extremely uh, grateful for everything that I've, you know, uh, have. And, um, the other thing about the six degrees thing is I've, I've always thought to myself, you just need to take me out of it. When you take me out of it, it, the concept of it is is really a kind of important and beautiful concept. And that is that we are all connected and we see this now so much during this pandemic, right? Um, the, what, what you'd go out and do in your life affects other people. And that's the, that's the connections. So I thought, well, what, what, what can I, what, what can I use? Or is there a brand? You know, I, I was really so impressed with Paul Newman and the way he took the, took the food and, and, and something that he loved to do and just raised a whole much, bunch of money with that. I, I was just kind of, I didn't really know really anything about philanthropy or about, um, what the, it would be. All I did was went out and with a friend, because I didn't even know how to do this, we got the website, sixdegrees.org. You know, I just, you know, purchased it for, you know, a couple thousand bucks or something. And that was just the beginning of it. So we're constantly changing and morphing and figuring out how to do it. Um, we, tr we try to use uh, a certain amount of um, uh, kind of celebrity, just because that's kind of what I, what the idea of it, it, you know, the six degrees thing, that's what people relate to, but I'm really interested sort of across the board and a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing kind of good work down on the ground. So it's, so be, my feelings about things that need help and, and, uh, and ways to reach out are really scattered because I find myself at I mean, one day I pick up the paper and it's like, all I'm thinking about is the environment. And then all I'm thinking about is, 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 um, you know, social injustice. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking about cancer and then I'm thinking, you know what I mean? I'm really like, I, I go, so that's a little bit what six degrees.org is like. We're a little bit, you know, spread out. It sounds like the idea of six degrees uh, kind of permeates the whole philanthropic notion in the sense that you make people aware of their connection to things happening locally far away from them that they might not have otherwise heard about, might not have felt they were connected to, but you connect them and give them a chance to, to, to help out. Do they, how, if I, if I went to the website and I wanted to be part of this effort, what would I be asked to do? 
Um, well, there's um, <clears throat> ways to to uh, volunteer. There's ways to look for organizations that uh, are in your neighborhood that have some kind of focus on something that that you are interested in. And and then we always have some new sort of um, piece that we're that we're kind of supporting. Um, for instance, we were supporting during the pandemic um, a couple of great grassroots organizations that were taking restaurants, okay, and using those restaurant employees who obviously were, were a lot of them were out of work and, and uh, you know, restaurants were closed and had, had no clientele, but there were still people that they were able to make the food and then take the food to frontline workers, specifically hospital workers who mm. were not even getting, the hospitals were so overrun, they weren't even getting time to go out and get a bite to eat. So we take a local restaurant and a local hospital and uh, everybody wins. It's so interesting that you were able to take something that you felt held you up as a joke at your own expense and turn it around into something so positive and and productive in a, in a human way. It seems easy, I bet, to a lot of people when you think, uh, why think that's a joke at your expense? You, you must be very sensitive. It's hard to be in that spot. I've been in that spot too. And it, does, it doesn't always seem like a compliment. You know, I just, I just the other day, I read something commenting on actors and their careers. And, and, they, and it basically, they referred to me as, you know, having done some movies, but best known for the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Now, <laughs> if you spend your life as you did, um, <laughs> you know, deciding that you were going to devote your entire being to trying to do something well and to work and bust your ass to try to be good at it. And then something else sort of comes down. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to to appreciate. I mean, I, like if, if, if it's, if it's one piece of, um, if it's one piece of work, you know, I can kind of understand that, you know what I mean? Because then you go, well, yeah, that's the thing that people saw the most. And, you yeah, know, but, but something from left field, completely. Yeah, but something from left field, it's a little, it was, yeah. yeah. But yeah. listen, I, I, somebody said to me the other day, they were talking about, um, uh, they were talking specifically about Meryl Streep, who I actually have worked for, with before, and and I really agree with this. And they were they were saying, you know, that they so admired her because she took her work so seriously and herself not very seriously. And uh -huh. that's kind of like the way I am, you know, because um, yeah, I'm serious about my relationships and my, my, my family and, you know, trying to be a, trying my best to wake up and, you know, be able to look in the mirror and feel okay about myself. Um, but I don't, I don't take my own sort of image or whatever that seriously. I'd rather, I'd rather just throw myself into the work to the best of my ability every time up at bat you know, try to swing for the fences and, 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 and do something that has value, put in the time. And then when it comes to me, eh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care that much about it. I don't really care how people perceive me specifically. You know, that, that couldn't be more evident in your uh, podcast, which I, I listened <laughs> to, I listened to some of it. I didn't have time to listen to more than 
first episode so far. Uh-huh. But it made me laugh. It's a really bizarro piece of work. And uh, uh, it's like an old, like a radio show with with a whole soundscape and, and but right. the, the story the storyline is so crazy yeah it's and crazy it, at your own expense what's it called last degree of Kevin last degree Bacon. Kevin Bacon yeah and you hit this guy with your car <laughs> and you bring him home and are kind to him mainly because you don't want him to sue you yeah and when Kira Kira said. Kira Sedgwick, as I'm sure you know, is your wife. Yeah, she is my wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as, yeah thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Yes. When she says to the guy, tell me about yourself. Are you litigious? It, just <laughs> killed, it killed me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I I, I, yeah, it was, it was very nice of her to, to do the part. I didn't know where, who I was going to, where we, who we were going to go to next if she decided not to play Kira Sedgwick. I'm not sure. um, well, she made fun of herself too. That's great. Yeah, and you and you do work a lot with your your family. You you've been doing music with your brother, your brother Michael, is it? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, mm-hmm. you you've been making music together since you were kids, I think, right? Yeah. But then now you for for the last twenty five years or so, you've been you have a band together. We do, yeah, yeah. We just played a show actually. Um, I'm speaking of working with family. Uh, we just last night, late last night, wrapped up. Um, a movie that Cure directed and that I'm in and that our son Travis is scoring and uh, we're in Rhode Island and um, just coincidentally we had a Bacon Brothers show in Rhode Island like a half an hour away so on a uh, on a we were off on Fridays and Saturdays in this particular movie and uh, and on Friday night uh, a lot of the crew came and we had a, we had a show and, uh, it was one of our first, our first shows, uh, you know, live. Since the uh, pandemic, you mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, do you, you write your, your, your own music? Do you, do you do. and your brother, do you and your brother collaborate or do you do it? We mostly? collaborate some. Um, we used to write a lot more. Um, I start, see, I started writing when I was really young, uh, probably, and Michael too. I mean, he started writing probably when he was 10. Uh, he's 10 years older than me. I started writing when I was about 12 and, but he was a, uh, trained musician. He, uh, he, he took music lessons and played the cello and was in the all city orchestra in Philly where we grew up and, and was like a, a real, you know, he was like the real deal musician. I didn't have an instrument, but I would still hear melodies and lyrics in my head. And then I would sing them to him. Uh, and he would take uh, the guitar, the piano, and kind of structure um, the song and figure out like what the changes were based on me just going ba 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 ba, you know. And then, uh, and then I eventually picked up the guitar really only as a tool to write, you know, hmm. because I needed something to play to be able to um, put these song ideas down. And we started writing a lot together as my guitar skills got a little bit more advanced i think i didn't uh i didn't we didn't necessarily need to write with him so so we would write alone so at this point we don't write that much together uh but the albums are generally and i think we just during the pandemic put out our 10th album um oh, they're generally great. split between half half of them are mine if i do the lead vocal and half of them are his if, if he does the lead vocal 
your songs are really melodious, and you reminded me as I was listening just a little while ago to one of the most fun and interesting interviews we had on this podcast was with Paul McCartney, because I said to him, how do you personally come up? I asked him, how do you come up with, with the tune? Do you noodle around? Does it, do you hear it in your head first? How does it happen? And he says he noodles. And then he went over to the piano and started noodling and trying to fish for a song. And it was really exciting and fun. That's amazing. So it makes me wonder how you do it, too. How do you arrive at a melody? Yeah, um, I, I think... I don't think of them as... Sometimes one comes first and one comes later. Like sometimes the lyrics sort of are the, are the genesis of it. And sometimes the, the um, you know, a riff or a chord progression is, is the genesis of it. Or for me, even I'm, I'm very rhythmic. So like, sometimes I like, I feel like I want to do. Like I just hear some kind of a drum thing. And then that, that's what puts me into the, um, into the, into the groove of the, of the song. So basically, you know, you know, I'll come up with sort of either a lyrical idea or, or, or a chordal idea. I'll start to play the changes and find the melody that kind of goes mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. those changes. Um, and it's funny cause I, you know, I, on the iPhone as those, uh, voice, voice apps, you know, or the voice notes apps, which are so fantastic for songwriters. You you hit it and it just records and it records pretty well, actually. I mean, I've actually looped movies with it. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Which has gotten crazy, but but yeah. And sometimes I'll go back and I'll listen to the actual progression of a song over like, you know, it'd be like August 13th, August 17th, August 20th, because they're all dated. Mm. And I'll hear uh, a completely different sort of musical idea and a lot of different kind of lyrical ideas. Also gives you a chance to refine it little by little. It's like like, an, like a scene you derive out of improvisation. Sometimes it takes 18 times before it's a finished scene, even though you improvise, you think the same scene every time. Yeah. Yeah, Kira once asked me, she said, how can you... When you're writing something, how can you play it over and over and over again? And I said, well, yeah, that's exactly it. And and one of the risks of writing something and recording it and then taking it out and touring with it is that all of a sudden, you know, you're in Des Moines <laughs> and you and you the song is is, you know, it was recorded a year ago and you go, oh, that's it. Or it should have or I. You know, I should have gone up a note. Yeah, yeah, up a note. Yeah, up a note or up an entire key, you know, up an entire step. Like it like I should have yeah. we should have been playing it in in um you know A flat instead of you know G's. I mean, I'm sure you've know you've had this experience where you you rehearse a play, you go through previews, you open, and then like in the in the fourth or fifth week on a on a Wednesday afternoon, you deliver a line and you go, oh, my God, that's that's it. That's so ingrained in me that when I'm on the stage and it's opening night, I I actually make a deal with myself and I say, don't be upset if you're still doing this play six months from now and finally you're really good. 
because it's going to get better. And this is just the start. I love that. So that's great. That's a deal you make with yourself. Yeah. That's yeah, great. The, the trouble is that that's the night that counts. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to that. So I'm going to hold on to that. People often ask me, what's the difference between acting on the stage and acting for the camera? When we come back from our break, Kevin Bacon and I compare notes on our experience in dealing with those two very different forms right after this. Clear and Vivid can be downloaded for free because it's supported by our sponsors and by, as they say, people like you. But there are no people like you. You're you. We want to make sure you know about patreon.com slash clearandvivid. That's where, if you love hearing from the extraordinary guests we have on our shows, you can become a patron and get early access to special videos. And at the highest tier, you can join me in our monthly get-together online. I think you'll find out that the listeners to our podcast are often as much fun to hear from as our guests. We're grateful to you all. Thank you. And don't forget to check out patreon.com slash clearandvivid. We've seen all the video call fails by now, the mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Kevin Bacon. I was thinking of what Liev Schreiber said when we talked on this show about how the combination of inspiration and technique, the things you have to remember technically when you're acting, and the things that you have to be overcome by without knowing in advance what they're going to be, the inspiration. He said an interesting thing about that, and I wondered about what your reaction to it is, because he was talking about it as someone who had played the clarinet, I think, professionally as a young man. So he was a musician, and you're a musician. And he said that combining those two things, the inspiration and the the hardcore technique is a lot like making music. I absolutely agree with that. Um, For instance, if I write something 
and then I start to play it with the band. And the first few times through, we're all kind of figuring it out and, you know, we're kind of stepping on each other's toes sometimes. And, but then eventually it kind of, it hits the sweet spot and it really, you really, it's a, it's an overused word, but it really is true. It really starts to groove. And all of a sudden you, uh, you find something new. A lot of times for me, it's finding something new in the melody or finding something new in the vocal that is going to just feel interesting and inspired. And I feel the same way about, about acting um, and, and about uh, certainly on the stage, but, but, but filmmaking too. Um, I, I think that co- comparatively, if, you, if we're talking about music, when I look at uh, working in the studio recording, mm-hmm. I think that's very much akin to making a film or a television thing, because you have take two, you're in a con- controlled environment you um, have gotten a chance to uh, rehearse, do a master. Now you're coming in. You got coverage. You got all this kind of stuff, and there's a lot of gear around. And and but you want to hold on to the the ability, even if you have all that technique, which comes from a lifetime of you know living on the set, knowing what cameras do and lights and how the whole process of the day is going to go. You want to hold on to all that technique, but hope that the muse comes in and sits on your shoulder and, 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 you know, take to, you know, you laugh on a line that you had never even thought about laughing. on, <laughs> And it just, you just go, Holy shit. That's like, I, that was cool. That it was <laughs> fresh. It was alive. I was in, I was in the moment, right? That's what you're hoping to find in a recording studio. Um, that, you know, everything is set and everything is, is, is well rehearsed, but that you can also just find something, you know, let's, Mm. what do you say? Let's, um, you know, let's, let's play the tambourine and run it backwards, you know, whatever it happens to be, (laughs) you know, and I think that, um, doing a theater is really much more akin to playing live music Mm. because you have a show it's essentially the same show. I mean, you may set switch the set lips up, but that night that you're sharing only with those people in that dark room is never going to be the same. Mm. And that's that the, the ideal that, that it will never be the same. That, that's the ideal. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And it can get stale, you know, as you know, if you run a show for months and months, there's the possibility the same thing with, with a, with a, with a musical act, if, if you've been playing a lot, playing a lot. And, and so uh, part of the technique is to get yourself back to the, the moment where you can get inspired. You know, I think that's part of the technique. The difference between movie acting and stage acting is really a, a big thing to me. I, to me, it's a big difference. I, I started on the stage and it took me a really long time to get comfortable acting in front of the camera. Because on the stage, for me, when the curtain goes up, you walk out on the diving board, you take a bounce, and you go get up in the air, and you don't hit the water for two hours. But in the movie, you have about 15 seconds of acting, and then they say, cut. Or maybe you get a couple of minutes. Yeah. And if it's going to be 
a thrilling experience. You're, you're lucky if it happens during those few seconds that the camera's turning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you start on the stage? I did, yeah. I started on the stage. Um, I, I got to New York uh, in 1976. Um, I did a year at uh, Circle in the Square uh, Theater School. And, you know, I was a classic New York actor as a waiter and, you know, oh, and yeah. working in uh, what we like to call toilet bowl theater. You know, I was aware, I was off Broadway, a lot of off Broadway, off, off Broadway. Um, and Henny, uh, no, remember Henny Youngman's joke, the guy gets in the cab, he says, take me to an off Broadway theater. The driver says, you're in one. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, and, and that was my world and that was, was my home. And it was really exceedingly important to me. Um, I wanted to be on the stage and maybe hopefully do some movies too, but I really loved, I loved the stage. And, and I have to say that, you know, listen, I, I don't, I don't like to get into that old kind of like fuddy duddy snobby thing, but I think there is something about the um the training and the discipline that it takes to do eight shows a week that if you haven't experienced that at all and if you've only really come up through um you know television or 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 film i I think you're kind of missing you're missing something fundamental about what it is that we do for a living um i know there's great actors who have never and never will go anywhere near um, the theater, but uh, it was really important and really, really uh, formative for me. I think it's hard for somebody to come back to the theater or get go to the theater for the first time after a career in, on, in film, because by then they don't have the time that it takes to get accustomed to the theater. It, ta- right. it takes years to... Yeah to know how to be intimate in a big house. For it instance. does. It does. And also, obviously you get super, super judged for doing it. I mean, even now, you know, I think I haven't done a play for, I did a play at Hartford stage about, uh, probably about two years ago, but even now the idea of doing a play in New York, it's, it's, it'll be considered a, you know, sort of like a return to theater or like a, or a, a Hollywood actor acting Hollywood on the stage. Hollywood actor, right, doing theater. Yeah, yeah so there's, there's, a, there's something about that. I mean, you know, I always go back to that moment. I remember on the first night we had an audience, it was a, uh, it was a staged adaptation of uh, Rear Window. And uh, I was in, in, the, in, in this, I was on crutches, and I'm standing there, and I got the cast on my leg, and uh, I'm backstage, and that feeling comes rushing back of like, holy shit. I mean, anything can happen here. It's butterflies. Mm-hmm. And I don't get butterflies on a movie set. You know, it's like no. a... Because like you always have movie. another chance. Yeah. It's like my living room. And it's re- and, and that's good in a lot of ways because I've, mm-hmm. I've become more and more relaxed in my work because I really, really know this place. And I love this place. But I think having butterflies as a uh, at any age, as a performer, uh, as a creative person, is is um, really really 
uh, important. It's important to me. It wakes you up. It's a good feeling. I get much more alert when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I like the alertness. I know you have to go, but before we end our talk, we always end the show with se- uh, seven quick questions. Okay. They're generally a, in a rough way to do with communication and relating. What do you wish you really understood? Oh, um, what do I wish? I wish right now, I wish I really understood uh, the cultural divide in America. Mm-hmm. Things like making vaccines, politics, turning a pandemic into a political tool is is really baffling me at this point. How do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? It's a really good question because the problem with the internet is that it's a great leveler in terms of facts because you can have, you know, a hundred thousand incredibly smart and talented and dedicated scientists, for instance, explain something scientific. And one guy who's a friend of your cousins (laughs) posts some complete bullshit. And both of those things in the course of your day are probably going to be equally impactful, you know, to you. That's what the Mm -hmm. internet does. And, and, uh, so it makes it really, really, it makes it difficult. I, I, I don't know. And, uh, I get to the point where I go, well, I don't want to give up on, you know, I don't want to give up my people. I don't want to give up on, 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 on change and illumination and, and, um, and, and, and truth, but it, it gets, it gets harder and harder to try to figure out ways to explain. Okay. Change of pace for the next question. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? <laughs> well, I would say it's kind of a question. Uh, One time at a Bacon Brothers show, a woman asked if we would sign her prosthetic leg. (laughs) Well, to her, it's a prized possession. Yes, absolutely. And there's actually ended up being a really kind of very touching and moving story that came from this. And in fact, we've we've, um, met this woman a number of times. She's come to a few shows. She was sick and and in the hospital and, you know, had to uh, have her leg amputated huh. and really said specifically that she listened to the music to get her through it and specifically to one song. And I can tell you as a songwriter, you know, if anybody, if you write a song and anybody says that it affected them at all. That's a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Um, <laughs> well, how have you stopped me? Uh, <laughs> you, you don't it, rank as one yet. Um, let's see. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, that is re- that's a really good question, Alan. Oh, my God. And I can't tell you how many situations I've been in where 
It's a yeah, loop. The question supposes you know how to do it. I'm not sure I know how to do it either. I don't know how to do it because sometimes people get on a loop. I've tried in the past sort of like reverse psychology and sort of taking the approach of saying, well, tell me more about that. <laughs> oh, that's, tell me that, more that's about that. That's an interesting approach. Did it ever yeah, work? I've, I've tried it. No, it doesn't work at all. It, just, <laughs> it, it can double or triple. It could double or triple the amount of time. <laughs> but it's a very profit. creative idea. I like that. Okay, let's say you're sitting at a dinner table at a dinner party. You're sitting next to someone who you don't know. How do you strike up a genuine conversation with that person? Oh, uh, I am I am very, very good and very interested in hearing about people. And I will say, well, where are you from? Tell me about your family. And most people are pretty ready to to eventually go deep. And I, I, I enjoy that. I, I, I really do. I know that with uh, Kira and I, whenever we're with couples, mm. the surefire go-to conversation starter is how did you guys meet? Oh, sometimes man. it breaks. Sometimes it breaks bad. I mean, we've seen. We've, we've <laughs> how, how, what, like what? Well, like well, they you immediately see that they have different versions of it, oh, and right. that they and that the fact that they even have these different versions makes them increasingly more annoyed with each other. There's been a couple of times when we thought, okay, I give these guys three months tops, <laughs> and it was only because we asked that question. That's funny. You got you got them rolling on the wrong foot. Yep. What gives you confidence? Oh, I don't really know where my confidence comes from. I think that if I knew, I would be able to tap into it and, you know, turn it on like a switch. There's two ways of looking at a, co a confidence. One is that it's confidence and one, one is that it's just dumb cockiness, you know? And I think that certainly as a young man, I had a, a lot of that. Um, but it wanes daily, you know, and I have to figure out a way to get it back, but I don't really know exactly how, how I access it. A very interesting answer. And I, I can identify with a lot of that. Last question. What book changed your life? You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's funny, but. I read a book which probably by today's standards would be looked down upon. I would probably have to read it again, but it was the book Iron John. I don't know that. What is it? It was a book kind of about men and a book about, it was kind of leaning, it was sort of like a post-feminist book, kind of leaning into the idea that uh, the Industrial Revolution destroyed um, the idea of apprenticeship, which was an important part of becoming a man, a, um, a rite of passage that we had that, that once the industrial revolution went away and people started moving away and moving away from home, men weren't really going through a, a, a rite of passage anymore. And the book talks a lot about the existence of, um, different mythological tropes about, um, manhood. But one of the things that I always remember from the book was that in mythology, there is this idea 
that the prince always has to steal the key from underneath the queen, his mother's uh, bed, and that the key, he has to sneak in at night and, and reach under this bed without waking up his mother and, and steal this key, and that's going to unlock you know, the golden box or whatever it was. And it's something that this get, gets repeated again and again and again in all these mythological stories. Um, and that is the fundamental breaking away of uh, the, the, the apron sp- strings, right? Mm, that's and, I never heard that myth. Yeah. I, I've been walking around all these years with an empty keychain. <laughs> <laughs> I totally it's missed out on it. It's never too late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. That's such an, 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 a reflective idea. Um, it's, it's, and there's a lot of other stuff like that. I'm sure there's a lot of misogynistic bullshit in there too. But, but at, the, at the time, I, I, it made, meant something to me. So you, did you, in fact, find a way to, to get the key in, I did. in, in a metaphorical way? I did. Now, I'll quickly tell you, this, tell you the story. My mother was a... Um, a very uh, uh, active uh, anti-war activist. And uh, this is the 60s, right? And I figured out somehow on my own in Philadelphia, I had no no theatrical people in my family. And I was probably about uh, 15. And I hadn't, I hadn't graduated from high school yet. And I'd, I'd figured out a way somehow to get an audition for a little sort of like, uh, commercial kind of spot or whatever. And I got it. And it was, uh, they were going to pay me, I think 500 bucks or something like that, which was like outrageous. And the spot was for, uh, uh, ROTC. Hmm. And my mother got wind of it and she was furious. And she said, you can't do this. You absolutely can't go out and, uh, be part of promoting, um, you, you know, young uh, men joining the army. And um, I said, yeah, if it's 500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't speak to me for, you know, a week. And um, to me, that was kind of the moment. You took the key. Yeah. There, there always is a point where you have to say, right or wrong, this is where I see myself. And I'm, I'm defined by this decision. Well, you've been really reflective and thoughtful, and I, I appreciate it. It's a really interesting conversation. We covered a lot of ground, too. Well, let me just say how much I admire you and your work. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to get a chance to um, chat with you. I, I'm sure our ships have passed in the night before, but uh, it's it's really fun to get an opportunity to do this with you. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to talk with you. Thanks so much. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsor of this podcast and to all of you who support our show on Patreon. You keep Clear and Vivid up and running. And after we pay expenses, whatever is left over goes to the Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. So your support is contributing to the better communication of science. We're very grateful. Kevin Bacon has starred in more movies and television shows than you can count. Perhaps most famously, Footloose, Apollo 13, 
and A Few Good Men in theaters, and most recently City on a Hill on TV. With his brother Michael, Kevin has just released the 10th album of Bacon Brothers Music. You can catch up with him at baconbrothersmusic.com. And his very strange but very funny podcast, The Last Degree of Kevin Bacon, is available on Spotify. Meanwhile, check out the work and the opportunities offered by his nonprofit at sixdegrees.org. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Shedd, with help from our associate producer, Jean Chimay. Our sound engineer is Erica Huang, and our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Mayim Bialik. Her acting career began at the age of 11, and as a teenager, she starred in her own sitcom. But then her life took a turn. I originally, you know, was really fascinated with with biology and with DNA. But once I took one of my first introductory classes at UCLA and uh, we learned about the neuron, um, I literally had a moment where I said, this is the level of understanding of the universe I want to have. The fact that neuroscience is, you know, the science that explains consciousness and speech and um, degenerative conditions, like it was just, it was all the things about the universe that I wanted to understand at that level. You know, I actually left academia to be home with my children, meaning I got my doctorate um, and then did not take a postdoc position. And eventually that led to me returning to acting because I was running out of health insurance. That's the truth. And I ended up on this, you know, the most popular comedy in America by accident. Mayim Bialik and how acting led to neuroscience and neuroscience led to acting. Next time on Clear and Vivid. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.